Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I am meeting with Dylan Bourguignon, CEO at Social. Dylan is on a mission to restore customer trust in insurance. With Social, Dylan tells me that with his team, he has developed a digital insurer with a unique model that delivers win-win insurance. We'll ask Dylan a little bit more on what that means. Dylan draws on a variety of skills, including sales, strategy, negotiation, M&A, and finance. With 12 years in strategy and M&A, actually, Dylan worked on over 40 acquisition targets and closed four. We will talk about Dylan's journey, setting up social, why he moved into insurance, how useful his sales strategy and many skills has been to scale the business. Why does this mean for social to have a, your insurance cake and eat it from an embedded insurance and digital ecosystem viewpoint? Culture, goal alignment, and mindset when working digitally will be covered too. So let's get started. So Dylan, it's such a pleasure to have you with us on Scouting for Growth today. Thank you for having me. And uh, let's get started. Tell us a bit more about you, you know, your journey uh, so far in industry and into the insurance sector, please. Sure. Um, I was, uh, having been an engineer uh, twice over, I went into strategy consulting and then private equity for 10 years um, and uh, picked up an MBA on the way. But the the, the key about having been in, in private equity is I, the latter half of it, I was focused on insurance. And I got to understand the entire value chain of insurance and realized how it was, um, there was a chasm between the consumer experience of insurance and the margins the industry were making. And as an investor, I was looking for businesses that were addressing the issue. Um, sadly, there weren't any. So that's why I decided to do it myself. And uh, so yeah, got onto the journey. Uh, didn't, for me, it was essential to be a fully delegated authority MGA. And, and it's very hard to obtain, as uh, everyone will know. Um, so I built first Cycle Syndicate, which was a peer-to-peer -peer alternative to bike insurance, which allowed me to build data sets to uh, prove the essence of the model. And then was a, then able to uh, launch social with, um, uh, with a capacity provider. Um, and, uh, and be able to kind of be a fully, uh, fully day authority MGA from day one um, and having that control on the value chain for consumers experience benefit. So tell us, uh, you know, when you look at your differentiator, you already mentioned that the only way you wanted to build your business was to have this fully delegated authority MGA yeah. model to allow you to have more control. Can you tell us a bit more what that means for social and for you and your team? Of course. The... Uh, for us, the key was having control on the customer experience from purchase to claim. And what you quickly realize is that there is no way of fundamentally changing the paradigm for consumers unless you have a control over that entire value chain. And that means policy admin uh, and claims 
Um, distribution can be outsourced, but you got to make sure that you've got the right messaging. And uh, the and so the, the that means that it's uh, and policy admin is pricing and writing of the policies. And what if you um, whenever you try and change the, the 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 equation for consumers, if you just try and focus on a single element of them, whether it's distribution, policy admin, or claims. Um, as individual segments of the value chain, you are only optimizing to a suboptimal point. And if you really want to have a step change in customer experience, then you actually have to control, take control of the entire it and redesign it. And that's what we've done. So we've had a very holistic approach to the insurance problem and redesigned the system as a whole, as opposed to just try and optimize a... Uh, <laughs> a broken system yeah so you started with really understanding your customer and you build that customer engagement that system you mentioned based on the need of the customer rather than as we often see uh, with uh, large enterprises which have been built on a lot of merger and acquisition um that broken relationship and often um, some gaps in the way customers are being uh, dealt with. So tell us a bit more how this MN expertise has helped you. So, so but it's not just that, because I think the, the, the key here is that um, if you, it's not just about the customer experience, because yes, that's at the absolute center of what we're doing, but there are also elements of the value chain of insurance and the way the insurance industry works and happening, which are real problematic to change the customer paradigm. So fraud is one of them. I mean, it costs 15, 20% of our premium and means that, customer, uh, and means that uh, you often treat it as a thief as opposed to a, a, a customer when you're claiming. Um, and then you've got the lack of consumer centricity that and of product centricity that the industry has. Um, and then finally, you've got misaligned incentives across the value chain. I mean, whether it's policy admin, distribution or claims, nobody's got really this consumer's interests at the heart of what they're doing. And so what we've done is actually addressed all those issues in our redes redesign of the, of the consumer experience. Um, and I suppose what my background has allowed me to understand is how each one of these segments of the value chain operate. Um, it was a revelation to me to see that this was insurance is an extraordinary industry where everyone's making north of 10% EBIT margin. That doesn't, that's not found in any other sector. Mm. Um, and, and yet you had this kind of deeply disgruntled consumer in, in a premise of the insurance is just a promise, a promise that when things go badly, your back's covered and consumers don't trust that promise. And you're thinking, well, it's broken. And unfortunately, nothing, um, when I started my journey, was actually focusing on trying to address those issues at all. I mean, the big big data, IoT, um, comparison sites, none of which actually fundamentally changed the paradigm. Uh, and now there's a kind of big wave on about embedded insurance, and I, which is kind of slightly kind of emperor's new clothes, where um, well, we're basically reinventing something that's already existed for a long time. Um, but um, and the, in, in my mind, it eases distribution, absolutely, but it's so critical to focus on what the customer experience is going to be when they claim and how is that going to be a good experience. And just selling easily doesn't necessarily translate uh, into phenomenal customer experience 
um, when they when the when the promise is finally delivered. So, do you go direct to to consumer? Tell us a little bit more about your business model. Yeah, so we go direct to consumer. So we started building, and then we started also expanding into B two B C. And yes, we do embedded insurance, but um, at the heart is actually um, it's embedding a solution of insurance that is deeply relevant and consumer centric, as opposed to just enabling a bad product to be sold to a customer. Uh, and that's our, I suppose, our, uh, uh, our, our pet peeve uh, and our kind of our, our focus is always, it has to be a phenomenal and fundamentally changed customer experience. And so, I mean, B2B2C is just a channel um, as well as D2C. And the key core is what have you created that is valuable to customers? And that's what needs to be focused. And so that we, we, we focused on both the creation um, and implementation, but also in uh, in the distribution. So let's talk about social, the win-win insurance platform, right? Tell us a little bit more uh, about um, what you're trying to achieve and who is your customer and what do you mean by, you know, building a unique business model which drive win-win interaction yeah. with your customers? So what does win-win mean? It means amazing if you need us and rewards if you don't. Amazing if you need us, it's uh, the product, the, our insurance solutions are incredibly competitive, up to 40% cheaper than our competition. Um, it's very clear upfront what's covered and not covered. So no bad surprises. The policy is actually written for consumers, like a 15 year old can understand them. Uh, and by the way, they are, pay, they are designed to pay out, not to trip you up. Um, and then when you claim, it's not a question of days or weeks. For us, our leg motif is 24 to 72 hours, which means that we're up to 10 times faster than some of our competition in terms of fulfilling claims um, and other end-to-end claims experience. Um, and, uh, and we aim to even make that even faster. Um, and we will be, um, uh, we, we are on the journey to fully automate uh, claims end-to-end. So that's if you need us. But the thing is like 95% of people don't claim on insurance. So what's in it for them? And um, through our model, you can get up to 80% money back every year if you and your friends don't claim. Um, and so it becomes win-win. Either you claim and it's great, or you don't claim and you can get money back. What's not to love? Yeah, that's interesting in a sense that you mentioned you and your friends. So I assume that there is a, probably a pool mechanism where you can insure things with... So so it's not a pool, um, it's a network model. So this is kind of think about it like um, mutual 3.0. Um, the, the idea is um, I buy a policy, I'm covered. I can then connect to my friends and family who I trust. And every time I connect to them, me and my friends both get 10 pounds added to each of our reward pots. Um, I can connect to as many people as I want, so can my friends. Um, until my reward pot is worth 80% of the value of my premium. And at the end of the year, if me and my friends have not claimed, the money in my pot is paid out to me. So the difference is not a group model because my friend will be then connecting to their close friends and family, and I might not have any connection with them, and nor am I, uh, I won't I have any, um, my pot will not be dependent on their connections but only to the people I connect directly to. 
so it's um yeah so it's an important uh, nuance right because it, you just it's, it's, uh, it's networked and so therefore the relationship is important but it's uh applying the network economy principle which takes me to you know when you look at the design in your platform and you already touched upon embedded so it would be great to hear your view around the the theme the buzzword what is embedded for you and and your business but also what that means in terms of digital ecosystem so i assume to deliver your promise you must have partners and others supporting you in fulfilling your customer promise yes so the uh so i suppose embedded insurance it's uh it's b2bc distribution that's existed for a very long time in insurance nothing new um i think about carphone dick uh, carphone warehouse well dixon's was probably selling uh kind of insurance to laptops and stuff in the early 90s so there really is nothing new about just selling through a partner i think the difference is now is the ability to um uh, make it very seamless in a consumer experience um, as you, you purchase. You can also, um, as distribution partners, um, have got, build better understanding of their customers. Uh, you can then use some of that information to provide a more relevant and bespoke solution for, your, for, for the customers in terms of insurance. Um, and I think there's going to be, there's, there's all sorts of, um, I think there are, there are some challenges that the industry needs to be mindful of, and that's um, basically over insurance. So, you know, if you're being insuring for loss, theft, damage for every single item that you you uh, you buy, um, if it's going to be a couch, for example, well, is that not covered by your home contents insurance? So, I think there's a, there's an element of uh, making sure that the, the solutions we're creating for consumers are relevant. Um, I also believe it's really important that the that it's not just about the sales mechanism, which is focused on, but that we're also delivering on a kind of uh, superb claim experience, um, which needs to be as seamless as the as the purchasing. And the um, and you and going back to the point I made earlier, some of the issues you have to figure out is um, from a holistic perspective is how do you address the fraud, the lack of consumer centricity, and the misaligned incentives across the value chain. So, which is why I'm, uh, I really want to encourage any distribution partner to really think very clearly and carefully about the partner, the insurance partners they engage with, because it's not just about an easy purchase uh, experience. It's more than that. And otherwise, it will be detrimental to the brand that is um, offering the insurance solution in the first place. So yeah, so we, um, we are working with uh, several partners, whether uh, it's uh, FinTech or retailers and offering insurance in, in those ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's for us, it's, it's a, just another distribution channel. Uh, there are many other channels uh, that we can go through and um, but they are, but B2B2C distribution is an established channel in insurance and one which actually does give scale uh, and uh, which is therefore valuable uh, for, for insurance businesses.
So B2B2C, ways to drive scale. You also mentioned claims, you know, really owning the claims process so that you can actually achieve your SLAs of 24 to 72 hours, um, which, which is interesting yeah? because, uh, you know, not all MGAs will actually manage their claims, but you actually made the choice to drive that customer experience behind owning that claims process as well. Um, recently, I was talking to Andrew uh, Corns and uh, uh, others in our sector. And what I realized is those who actually build a platform to also own the claims process actually are, drove, are driving differentiation for themselves um, because they are in control of the timing of when they can fulfill their customer promise. I mean, we're always dependent on third parties. I mean, for example, you know, I'm not going to be uh, starting to go vertically integrated and own courier systems, uh, you know, and, and distribution in that way. So we are going to be um, dependent on the likes of DPD or Hermes and so on. Um, but uh, and, and that is often where we, we the, the kind of the overall experience trips up. Um, but there's, there's, so, there's so much one can do. Um, and we've got to be reliant on, as you mentioned, the ecosystem in, in that regard. Um, so it's about, but it is about, you know, working with the right partners and narrowing down the list of partners to make sure that they are uh, delivering on the, um, on the tough SLAs that we set ourselves um, to, to be delivering, um, you know, kind of superior experience to consumers. So what are the uh, products which have differentiated you, um, Dylan, your team and social, um, and why have you selected those specific offers? So we've already becoming the, I suppose, the possessions insurer of choice. Um, so we started the journey in mobile phone insurance and we broadened that scope to all the items that you have in and out of your home. Um, and we are also going to be insuring your home um, over the coming months. So it's, uh, uh, and, and that's effectively kind of the, I suppose, the ecosystem that we're focused on. Um, and the, where we, um, and then we've gone to derive all sorts of kind of um, uh, insurance solutions from that. So whether it's an extended warranty uh, across a variety of, of objects, uh, it might or might not include damage. Um, you can then create uh, other uh, insurance solutions, which might be also relevant. So if you're traveling, you need to have your stuff with you and travel. Um, th th those things also need to be uh, covered as you're, uh, as you're going away. So it's, um, it's looking at it in there from a consumer perspective as the stuff that really matters to you as a consumer and making sure that they are protected. So you'd started your journey as a, as a business executive 20 years ago. You move into investment world and now you're in insurance. Can you tell us how has been your journey uh, to be accepted within our insurance space? I think so sure now is probably six years, six years. Yeah. Um, well, the point is, I suppose I got to connect with the industry um, for over five years prior to um, building social. And it was, I think it was essential. Um, I remember at business school, um, one prof told us, don't go off and build a business just coming out of business school, go and identify a sector you want to work in and then 
you know, build relationships in there and then go off and do it. And it made it really clear to me when I started, because um, when you started off, especially in, well, I suppose in any sector, it's uh, everyone's got a network. And you, if you're the new kid on the block, you've got to figure out a way of getting attention from anyone. Uh, and so if you've already built relationships in the past, then it allows you to kind of open doors um, and uh, and get to understand also how people think. Uh, I think many people, actually there were other players at the time when we started who had the idea of creating a uh, something similar to social, but broke their nose on every single underwriter's door because if you go to an underwriter and say to them, I've got a great idea. We are going to give money back to the good customers. Uh, the underwriter just looks at you and says, you're out of your mind and uh, shows you the door. And that's what happened to, uh, to them. Um, I knew how the industry operated. And I realized that if you don't go to the underwriters with data, uh, which proves that it works, then it's going to be a very difficult conversation. Uh, and even then, it's not an easy one. But uh, at least you've got, uh, you're allowed to stay in the room <laughs> to have a conversation rather than uh, thrown out. So you have made the underwriter your friend and <laughs> other part of the uh, insurance ecosystem. Can you tell us your journey with the investors as well? Uh, journey with the investors? What do you when mean? You look, yeah, so when you look at social to build uh, and scale a business. Yeah. You have partly done it from building a business model which is reliable and yeah. which is sustainable. And I assume that you were able to seek funding as well from yeah. the investors. So how has been your journey finding funding from investors and how have you selected them and how are they making you successful still today? Yeah, so um, I suppose I started this journey before InsurTech was a word. Um, and by and large, insurance is a sector that most investors shy away from. Uh, we've got our own vocabulary. We talk about premium um, as opposed to revenue. Uh, and, you know, it goes on that way. And so it becomes, uh, yeah, a loss, loss ratio as opposed to the inverse of a gross profit on a policy. So that, that there's just lots of, uh, kind of things to get your head around. Actually, I remember that because when I was first assigned to the insurance sector, I was thinking, oh my goodness, uh, why is there not a kind of an initiating coverage paper uh, on this sector to understand and get your head around it? Um, and um, anyway, so you get to understand it by, by being in it um, for a period of time. So it does mean that many investors actually shy away from it. And it's not, it's also not a thing that many angels want to talk about when they go around the dinner table. It's like, yeah, I've invested in insurance. That's so exciting. Um, so it's uh it, it wasn't it wasn't kind of the the panacea uh when I first uh started the journey in terms of appetite for it. That said, people recognized the pain points and the size of the market, which does make it exciting. Um, but it, it had to be a narrower focus of, of investors. The, and then afterwards, what I've really focused on is um, getting investors who can have actually mostly been operators before, um, who understand what it is to buy and build a business. Because I think, especially in the early days, early years, um, it's, uh, it's very challenging in, in many ways. Um, it's super rewarding because you're, you know, you do everything 
um, from HR, FD, CEO, cleaning person, whatever it might be, <laughs> uh, there is no uh, title. Uh, but there's also a big, there is a, a fine line between following opportunities and being distracted. And however disciplined you might be, it is really important to to be supported in, in making sure that you're always seeing the wood from the trees and, and, uh, and stay on course. And that's what uh, my, um, my investors, who I brought in as advisors, basically as a board director, as a uh, advisory committee, to really make sure that, uh, keep me on straight and narrow. And that was from day one. Um, and yeah, and, and I think I've been really blessed to have really supportive investors who have been with us and standing by us through thick and thin. And I think the last few years have definitely shown what thick and thin might be because um, the pandemic uh, was no mean feat uh, for parties and, um, uh, and we had really great support from our investors um, uh, when that hit. And that was just really, really warm. Which is, you know, shows, you know, how important to select your investors strategically that, as you said, are with you alongside you when the time are good and the time are less good yeah. and are able to support you um, during that journey. And that has been, you know, a statement which has been made by many of the different tech ventures within our insurance space who uh, the, the one, you know, some have restructured, some have consolidated. Um, but, you know, the one who have been able to survive and, and actually thrive, I've had the support of really strong mm. investors, supporting them, guiding them, um, also doing their own due diligence around, you know, different markets and um, different organizations to actually bring the insight needed to actually scale and still grow the business. So you're absolutely right. What does that mean in terms of operations? So when you look at social, your team, the way you build a business, uh, it would be great if you could give us some insight and some tips as to how you've been able to build a strong team uh, to surround you and sustain you uh, for the, the past few years. You know, um, I, it is entirely the team to why we're here. Um, it's, and it's been remarkable because we've been, uh, very, very, very lean, um, at times far too lean. And they, their sheer dedication and uh, focus um, has been just absolutely astounding and remarkable. The, and I think that stems from the mission that we've got. We really believe in it. Um, we are here to restore consumer trust and insurance. And we really, we, we, it's not just hot, nice words on a, uh, on a piece of paper. Uh, we absolutely live it. Um, so what's, I think the, the key um, has been to hire against a set of values. And we actually, we took the values really important. And I think, I know, especially for kind of old school management style, values is a very kind of airy-fairy, kind of slightly kind of nebulous concept that um, sometimes it's perceived as you know, HR needing to justify what they're doing, but it is absolutely at the core. Um, and it was really instilled by a friend of mine who, um, uh, who built Culture Gene. And he was, 
he had uh, he had looked at and supported businesses uh, in the tech space for decades. And what he had recognized is that the companies which had a clear sense of their DNA, of their values, it was just a lot easier to recruit um, and also have higher retention and higher engagement. And so, yeah, in our first year, we were only five of us. We actually established what the what our values were, and what and it was the individual values that constituted what the team values were. Um, now, you know, I hired every single one of them, so it was pretty much aligned uh, with mine, of course. Uh, but uh, and then from then on, we've just always whenever we recruited someone, it was always, we recruit against those values. And, and we're very direct, even with candidates and saying, you know, either our values are those that you espouse naturally, or they're not. And if they're not, you might be the best person in the world. And we have no doubt you might, you, are, you probably are, because we wouldn't be speaking otherwise. But it, if it's not the right match, it's just not going to work. And so, and that's a very different approach to the, I suppose, the if you think about the kind of the, uh, the the background I had before in uh, you know which was much more focused around uh, performance and individual performance rather than necessarily the, uh, the, the the values and the kind of the establishment of values of the individuals and matching that with the teams. So uh, so it wasn't kind of new for me, um, but it was it has transpired as being really really powerful and and including in the pandemic uh when we moved to um fully remote having previously been fully office uh the there were actually we saw an increase in productivity and and if anything i had to figure out ways of making sure people weren't working too hard and actually taking time off for themselves and personal time because otherwise going to burn out so there's a, but that's kind of the, and it was very seamless um, moving into, into that remote work because there was a strong sense of cohesion. Um, everyone, you know, were very, very much self-starters. Self uh, and so it was just a very natural transition. And now we're moving to hybrid now. Which is great. So now you are moving to hybrid workplace, enabling uh, your team to work from an office probably a few days a week, but then with your trust in them and probably the transparency you've created around your organization, enabling that working remotely um, aspect of things. One thing you actually have highlighted, which is goal alignment. I was meeting recently with a group of investors and actually still it remains the, the number one criteria for success, goal alignment, in making sure that the team participate and understand why you set very specific values and beliefs, but those still needs to be owned by the organization. And it's the best way to qualify and identify people who fit within the team or mm -hmm. people, even though they might be strong, who might not fit within the team. And what also I've seen is today, you know, in the world we are in, it's often about, you know, credibility, driving authenticity, trust, transparency amongst internal members of the team, but also with your customer and your customer is a consumer. So therefore, he or she will be looking with that goal alignment when they make a choice to go for social, I assume, too. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the customer at the, the centre is uh, one of the core values that we have, uh, needless to say. Um, do the right thing for your customer and do the right thing for your colleagues. Uh, the, yeah, I, I think it's, um, uh, so there's different aspects. Goal alignment, there's kind of, a, there's a North Star we go, we, 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 we focus on, and that means that everyone's rowing in the right direction, in the same direction. The, the values is something that you're right, you have to embed. And it's not just about having a, a bunch of posters that says these are our values. Um, so we, we bring them into conversations, into everything, in the kind of the way we, we structure our appraisals and the way we kind of even catch up every week. Um, it's about reinforcing, you know, who's demonstrated some of the value, kind of what values um, over the last week. And, reminding ourselves all the time what the values are and uh, what they are. So it's, it has to be lived by the organization. It can't just be some document that's left on the drive along with the uh, staff handbook that you only look like maybe once a year if you're lucky. Um, the, and then in terms of actually we're mentioning about the, the office or what, going in several days a week, it's uh, even more, uh, I suppose we're kind of more, even more flexible than that. Um, and the, what we've, I suppose I'll share some of the, kind of the way we're operating is we, we believe there's, a, there's real value in us getting together. And, um, but, and so we figure out, okay, so where, how often do we need to go in? And to be honest, we're a growth mindset organization. And whilst that applies for any product, any marketing, any, uh, underwriting that we do, it doesn't matter. Everything is always a test learner trait. We're also doing that uh, from a uh, kind of a human capital perspective. And so what we're doing at the moment is we've got offices where people can go in at any point in time. And then um, everyone has to turn up twice a month uh, on specific days where we'll get together. And that really, the purpose of that is really kind of bringing people together in a way that you can actually create a bit more structured, you know, water cooler moments. Um, and we also have those water cooler moments um, throughout the week on a remote basis. But it, it, it's about making sure that everyone um, uh, can really enjoy each other's presence. Because actually what we realized during the pandemic is what we missed most is just being with each other because we really like each other. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of um, how we're operating. But, you know, that's right now might change over the next six months and uh, we can talk about it at that point. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We uh, are deploying, you know, I did a piece of research with a company called Eventi. And um, what was fascinating about this piece of research is that it said that 71% of um, employees today would rather work remotely than get a promotion. So work anywhere in the world, then get into promotion. And 13% only of people wanted to work from an office. And, you know, from various reasons, mm -hmm. children, not enough space to actually work and all those things. And, you know, finding that right balance around uh, a remote and hybrid, I think, will be important because you need those water cooler moments, mm -hmm. which actually takes me to my next question around how do you implement ESG? How do you deploy you know, environmental, social, and governance structure. You know, it's a hot buzzword of the year. And I assume, you know, working with insurance company yourself, um, capital providers, they probably ask you as well as uh, growth ventures, how you 
makes that sure that you can be ESG compliant? So, well, first of all, and what we've created um, on the social side is very, um, very powerful because we are abling, um, and the way we underwrite also is non-traditional ways, which means that we are not excluding the, uh, the less wealthy. Uh, most insurance companies just like to have uh, middle-class uh, wealthy individuals and they're just running on, all running after those same customers. Um, we've been able to figure out how to uh, serve all segments of society. Uh, and that's, uh, especially, except for the high net worth where, where we're staying away for, uh, for the time being. Um, but, uh, and that allows us to um, contribute in that way. We are also very mindful on the carbon footprint and um, we're about to undergo a, um, a piece of work to understand exactly what it would look, what it looks like. And actually not just from a organization perspective, but from a service perspective, because it's, uh, it's easy to, I mean, look, I mean, if you just look at us, we're just a bunch of people with a laptop. Um, and so, then you need to figure out whether your data centers, how are they being, um, how are they being, um, kind of, what energy are they using, whether it's uh, uh, renewable or not. Um, but, um, uh, and then kind of try and come back to exactly what is the carbon footprint, which pretty, is gonna be very low. I mean, we're, we're paperless in the first place. So it's, uh, it's literally just laptops um, and Wi-Fi networks. So that means that, uh, it's low, but I think from us, what we look at it is from a holistic perspective. So, for example, on uh, on mobile phone insurance, we will um, we had started off by replacing even cracked uh, screens, damaged phones, and uh, because that allowed us to provide a really fast claim service. Um, well, first of all, we kind of went to our customer base and actually found that they were quite happy to wait a couple of days to actually have the same device back. And also, what we and the reason we were keen to find out from them whether that was okay is because it's a lot more eco-friendly. I mean, you're not having to kind of go another, create another device. You're just um, using parts from previous devices that would have been kind of um, uh, recycled. And so, and so there's a real sense for us and it's, it's been a kind of ongoing journey and we didn't need to have ESG as, a, as, a, as an important label. Um, you know, we were doing, we were looking at this three, four years ago um, so it's not something new. Uh, we believe in, uh, we want to leave a legacy, um, not just in our service, but in a positive impact on the planet. So, and we look, we think about it kind of in a holistic way in that regard. So you've already been, you know, leading the way around upcycling, recycling, repairing rather than replacing, I guess. So where do you see the future of insurance for us? Where do you see the future of technology? You know, how can we continue to serve our client better by understanding using your, you know, your, your um, crystal ball, uh, Dylan? Where do you see where we are going now in insurance? Isn't it, isn't it societal as a whole, um, which is, we need to be looking at uh, more sustainable sources of energy. Uh, and then when we look about um, logistics, we need to figure out more sustainable means of transport uh, and then understand what the implication, and, and 
you know, we're obsessed about customer experience. And, you know, if you, when we started with mobile phones, I mean, people can't live without a phone for, uh, for very long. So you've got to figure out how you're going to still deliver a great service um, at the same. So the way we look at it is actually trying to put, we can't change the industry. I can't go to DPD and say, hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm a small player here. So it's hard for me to say, but doesn't stop us from having those conversations and just keep on putting pressure on, on all segments of, of value chain to make sure that we are all rowing in the same direction. And uh, I can't expect them in the same way as I can't expect the world to change overnight. Um, I can't expect them to change overnight, but I'm going to be um, keen that they do it as soon as possible. So when you look at um, other founders, you know, the, the clients you work with, um, sorry, the insurers you work with, the clients you're aiming to serve, what would be the lesson learned from Dylan that we can leave them with? Maybe your three top tips. Top tips about what? About business, about you know what you have learned through your personal journey as to building successful business. Yeah. Um, so I think it might be trite, but there's always going to be more naysayers than, um, than supporters and not to feel. Uh, and actually, if, in a way, if you should take it as a mark of confidence, but make sure that it's founded in truth as opposed to uh, hot air. And I, and I say that because, you know, when we started our journey, many investors just said, oh, you're looking at, you're, you're trying to eat too, you're taking too much of the value chain here. You should be just focusing on one segment and then you can uh, move from there. And the thing is, if you do that, you're not solving the problem and you just, uh, it, it doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's pretty pointless um, in, my, in my mind. Um, so, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people say, no, no, just focus on one segment and optimize on that. And then you can start um, adding the other ones. But if you've got a holistic systemic, systemic approach to solving the problem, that mindset won't, won't work. And so it can be disheartening when you're, you know, raising your funds um, to keep on saying those, but um, eventually you'll find someone who's got um, uh, a different mindset and will recognize the, uh, the value. And that's, um, yeah, and I, and I think that's just, you know, tenacity um, is required. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, I mean, people, people, people. I mean, ultimately it is entirely gonna be the people you're gonna hire. Um, they're the ones who are gonna be able to deliver. Uh, there's nothing that I can deliver by myself. Um, and so it means it needs to be a core focus, um, both in recruitment um, and then in nurturing thereafter. Uh, and then finally, I think it's about, oh, uh, yeah, my top tip is actually is uh, you are going to go through a roller coaster of emotions, which is going to be really from the biggest highs of your life to the biggest lows. And uh, I think uh, a key saying that I really love is all is well in the end. And if it's not well, it's not the end. And 
um, very often you will find that um, that tough patch will pass and uh, soon you will have forgotten of the tough patch, but uh, it builds your, again, your resilience over time, um, which I've now noticed, understood after six years. Uh, yes, building resiliency. I think I hear that a lot from, you know, from founders, tech founders that uh, goes up and down and some days you want to break everything and you are not feeling good. But at the end of the day, every step of the way you are learning and that is something no one can take away from you, yeah. whatever choice you are making for your future. So I know you have, you know, a lovely family, uh, Dylan. So uh, my last question to you is looking at Dylan today, right? You have been in finance, you've been working for 20 years, you've built your own startup, a very successful platform. So let's go back and look at Dylan at six years of age. What would you tell? What would you tell that six years of age Dylan about his, his future and where he, is, he could be today? Uh, well, be yourself and don't stop believing. Amazing, wise world. So if people want to find you, Dylan, where should they go? Um, so uh, I am on Twitter at db underscore entrepreneur. Um, just uh, wearesocial.com is uh, the company and you will find that on Twitter, a handle too. Uh, I think our, our Facebook is there too. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, otherwise uh, on LinkedIn. Um, Dylan Bourguignon, not many others out there, especially in insurance. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for your time and sharing your passion, your found passion in insurance and the wisdom of building your own venture in the, over the course of the past six years. So thank you for your time. No, thank you. Pleasure being here. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.